Today I would like to speak on the most famous prayer ever taught or uttered. It's found in Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 13. You know it. You probably don't need, even need to see it up there or read it in scripture. But a group of Jesus' disciples asked him, how should we pray? And he gave them a number of instructions. And then he culminated his instructions on prayer with this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we, is also, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And in some texts, it concludes, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Again, like I said, this is the most famous prayer ever uttered. It's a prayer that we know so well that often we have no idea what we're praying. We're just used to it. This prayer, if prayed with proper understanding and an open heart, is spiritual dynamite. If we pray it and understand it and really mean it, it will shake our world. There are really two parts to this prayer. The natural inclination is to pray for the middle of the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us, Lord, the bread of heaven for our souls. Give us, Lord, bread for our bodies. Give us, Lord, bread for this thing right here. Give us bread. Notice it says, give us this day our daily bread. Give sustenance, not just for me, but for my brothers and my sisters. We are not in this alone. We are a community. Give us what we need, not just me what I need. And forgive us our debts as we forgive the debts of others. Help us to receive and live by your grace. Set us free from our pasts, our mistakes, our sins. Let forgiveness and second chances be a hallmark of our lives and our community. Help us to freely give what we have freely received. And then help us to remember to forgive because we have been forgiven so much. And lead us not into temptation. Keep us from self-destructive behavior. Help us with our addictions. Keep us from the bondage of sin. Protect us from ourselves, our fallen natures, and from the evil one himself. And spare us from trials, from tests, from disease, from hurt, from the devil's traps. Deliver us from evil of all kinds, Lord. All of these personal pleas to God come at God's invitation. It is right that we come to the Father with them, a Father who cares about every aspect of our lives, who numbers the very head, hairs on our head. For some, That's not a lot, lot of work for some of us or him. But if we want revival, we must pray the first and last lines of this prayer with equal or greater intensity than the middle verses. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray this prayer, we are acknowledging who is in charge. We are acknowledging that God is not some pale image of ourselves who lives to do our bidding. He is not some genie in a bottle who exists to grant our wishes. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has a larger agenda than just our personal requests. In praying your kingdom come, we are taking the larger view of things. You see, we tend to be 
narrow and small in our, in our personal agendas. We tend to think God exists only for us. He does exist for us, but not only for us. It's not just about me. God calls us to an adventure beyond just our personal agendas. He's calling us to pray for and live our lives in such a way as to make visible the rule of God in our world, in our lives, in our church, and take back enemy territory. To pray, your kingdom come, means we place ourselves in the middle of the war between good and evil, God and Satan, angels and demons. We become soldiers of the king, and his will and agenda is ours. His ultimate concerns are ours. When we pray this prayer, we are saying, Thy kingdom come to me. Thy kingdom come in me. Thy will be worked through me, even if it costs me something, because what Jesus clearly, clearly taught is that if you do this prayer and pray this prayer, it will cost you something, sometimes dearly. Ben Patterson interviewed Helen Rosevere who was a short, no-nonsense Irish doctor with steely blue eyes and a wry wit. Just looking at her, he said, you would have not guessed that she spent the better part of her life serving Christ as a medical missionary in Zaire, or that she had been beaten, kidnapped, and repeatedly molested by rebels during the Simbo Rebellion of the early 1960s. Despite her incredible suffering and subsequent emotional breakdown, she went back to Zaire and accomplished amazing things for Christ in that land. As he was interviewing her, she spoke of her horrible experience with the rebels. And when she finished, after the interview, she looked at Ben Patterson and said, I am going to have nightmares from this interview. I'm going to have flashbacks tonight. Patterson said, I would have never asked you for an interview if I would have known it was going to have this kind of effect on you. She, he said, she dismissed my remark with a short wave of her hand. No, no, she said. The Lord told me that if I'm going to tell this story, it can't be like a phonograph record. I'll have to feel it each time I tell it. And then she said something incredible. People ask me all the time, was it worth all the suffering, what you accomplished here? And she said, if I'm really honest with them, I tell them, no, it was too costly. All I got done doesn't begin to offset what I paid for it personally. But she said, then the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Helen, that's the wrong question. The question is not, was it worth it to you? The question was, am I worthy? And of course, she said, you are worthy, Lord. You are worthy. Thy kingdom come. Your will be the final word. Your glory be the first priority. If you pray this prayer, it will cost you something. It always costs us something. Most of the world, it costs them something. There is a kingdom that is breaking into this world. And we are to pray for it to come in its fullness. We are to embody its values. This kingdom is unlike the kingdoms of this world. It obliterates all the false divisions the world sets up. The kingdom of God comes when God is truly worshipped, when we love each other in His name and in the power of His Spirit, 
when we do his will individually and together, when we follow him as he defeats hatred and poverty and racism and demolishes the walls that Satan has built between us, the kingdom comes when we create a counterculture that does justice and loves mercy and where we work, walk humbly with our God together. Why pray the Lord's Prayer? Because such a kingdom comes only in the Spirit's power. It must be prayed in. It cannot be manufactured by human effort. We, cannot, you, we have to pray in the kingdom. There is no substitute for this. I have a friend that lives in Arizona, and for a while he attended a mega church of 6,000 people. And he used to get so excited, he'd tell me all the neat stuff this church did to keep on growing. He said every Sunday they have an open food court, and they provide free coffee, free hot chocolate, donuts, breads, and assorted other things. It was, he said it's as good as a restaurant. And he said the services had great high-powered professional musicians. Those musicians rocked. And he said the preacher was, you know, he was just slick. He was, oh, man. And the youth group was equipped with the latest and best video games and technology. He said, and every week they had drawings and they handed out prizes to children and youth, often some of the video games they were playing that week. And he went on and on about his church. And my first thought was, gee, I'd go to that church even if it wasn't a church. I'd go there for the same reasons I go to rock concerts or video arcades or Dunkin' Donuts or food courts at the mall. By the way, in heaven, they serve Krispy Kreme donuts, not Dunkin' Donuts. It's not even close. But, and when I shared this in the first service, some people rose up against me. I had to smite them with the word of the Lord. One, of the, one person actually said, Krispy Kreme donuts are of the devil. And I said to that person, why is that? And they said, too much lard, too much air, too much sugar. And I said, that's why you eat a donut. You're not going for health food here. Krispy Kremes are the best, I'm sorry. My internal question to my friend was this as I listened to him. Just where is Jesus present or necessary in your church's organization? That church sounds like it could run just fine without Jesus. Jesus doesn't sound necessary to anything going on there. I get nervous when there are all kinds of reasons to go to church other than Jesus and the kingdom he is bringing. Lee Grady said that while he was in Nigeria, Africa, 8,000 African pastors came together from all over the continent for a week of prayer and worship and intercession. He said that when he was there with these spirit-filled African pastors, he said, I could feel the ground move and the rafters rattle when we prayed. He said they were serious about the kingdom coming. They were serious about taking back enemy ground. And he said most of these pastors were on their knees or standing or lying prostrate before God four hours, six hours, eight hours straight. They were not talking on their cell phones. They were not bipping around uh, on our smartphones like some of you are doing right now. They were not exchanging business cards. He said the sad truth is we Americans have become a prayerless people. 
Most of our churches don't have prayer meetings anymore. Prayer, especially the fervent intercessory variety kind, has been crowded out by trendy church growth programs and sophisticated technology. He said, we are so hip now and so powerless now. Who needs old-fashioned stuff like fasting and travail and all-night prayer vigils? Who is now on their knees trying to storm hell's stronghold with the only power that can beat hell's stronghold? Brothers and sisters, the kingdom only comes by the power of the king. For it's not by my might, it's not by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God of hosts. The most important thing we ever do to bring in the kingdom is to pray for it, and pray for it to start here and now, starting with me. When God starts to move, the first thing he does is create a hunger in the hearts of his people, a hunger to see the face of God, a hunger to feel his heart, a hunger to be, have his love poured into you. When God moves, he makes us dissatisfied with the status quo. Lukewarm is simply not good enough anymore. We become burdened for more. And as I've said many times, I believe we can have all of God we want. The problem is that most of us want so little. When God starts to move, people start praying out of a hunger for more of God and a desire to see His kingdom right here, right now, in the middle of their lives, in the middle of their church, in the middle of their communities. You know, God is really bringing a movement when people stop tolerating stuff in their lives they've tolerated for years. People start being troubled by sins that didn't used to trouble them. When the Spirit is moving, people see the ugly, awful nature of sin. And people actually want God to do something about it. It's no longer okay to be selfish or to be angry or to be lustful or to be bitter or to be prejudiced. Our hearts begin to be broken by the things that break God's heart. I had a friend who was my best man at my wedding, and he was at the Asbury Revival in the 1960s. And he talked about what happened there. And he said, as he described it, there were two things in that earth-shaking revival that struck me. The first thing he talked about was how quiet it was. People were not doing somersaults and jumping and shouting and... It was quiet. People were quietly seeking the face of God with great intensity. And you saw them praying in corners and all over the campus. They were, they were doing this, hungry for God as the Spirit put the hunger in them. And the second thing he said was in the main auditorium for, for weeks, there was always somebody at the altar praying and there was always somebody up front in, with a microphone sharing their conviction of their own sin. Sharing the things they needed to repent of. Sharing the things that God had brought to them that they could no longer tolerate. He said, for, for, for weeks and weeks, the heart of the Asbury revival was one big confession session as God broke the power of sin in people's lives. When God's Spirit is moving profoundly, we want to be holy as our Father in heaven is holy. When holiness isn't just, about, it isn't just about breaking the rules or the fear of messing up or being discovered, real holiness is a revulsion to evil. 
Real holiness is a desire to be like Jesus Christ because he is the most wonderful, healthy, whole, loving, beautiful person that ever existed. Real holiness isn't about rules. It's about love. And I want you to tell you something. When you really love like God loves, like Jesus loves, it, the sins fall away. Because you can't love like God loves and lie to people. You can't love like God loves and steal from people or be violent with people. You can't do all kinds of things like adultery. And so when God's love fills your heart, holiness is a byproduct of it. When they say love covers a multitude of sins, a lot of times we mean it covers our sins, and it does. But brothers and sisters, when love really operates, it blots out a whole lot of sins. Jesus concludes the prayer he taught us with, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. As one writer put it, When it comes to God, we often want to be rescued by God, but not bothered by Him. We want to be comforted by the Spirit, but we don't want our lives disrupted by the Spirit. We want to be soothed by Jesus, but not disturbed by Jesus' agenda. Jesus came to shake up this world. And if we pray this prayer rightly, we are saying, start shaking it up where I'm at. If we pray this prayer, it will turn our worlds upside down first. Be careful when you pray for God's kingdom to come and His power to be revealed and His name to be glorified and His will to be done. Be careful when you say amen to those things because remember what amen means in the biblical context. Amen means not only do I, am I affirming that what you have said is true, I am affirming that it is binding on me. I will do something about it. I will receive it. Let it be so. Starting with me is what amen means. We pray for the kingdom to come. We pray for God's will to be done in our lives. Usually the first thing God does is he gives us a problem. He gives us a problem. He says, this is what's wrong. I'm going to lead you to go fix this. He gives you a problem. One writer put it this way. In a very important way, you will be defined by your problem. Your identity is defined by the problem you embrace. Tell me what your problem is and I'll tell you who you are. People with small souls have small problems. How to make their lives safer or more convenient. How to put an irritating neighbor in his or her place. How to make wrinkles less visible. How to cope with cranky coworkers or a lack of recognition. Small people are occupied by small problems. People who live with largeness of soul are occupied by large problems. How to end extreme poverty. How to stop sex trafficking. How to spread the gospel. How to help at-risk children receive a great education. How to overcome the division along racial lines in this country. What most people do not realize is that they are going to really live the life that God wants them to live, and ultimately what they want to live is you need a God-sized problem. If you don't have one, your current problem is you don't have a problem. Life is facing and solving problems in Christ.
When God calls people, he calls them to face a problem. The standard word for the condition of being truly problem-free is dead. That's the only people who don't have a problem. It's Adesis writes, having fewer problems is not living, it's dying. Addressing and being able to solve bigger and bigger problems means that our strengths and capacities, our souls are enlarging. We need to emancipate ourselves from small problems to free the energy to deal with big kingdom-sized problems. Growth is not the ability to avoid problems. Growth is the ability to handle larger and more interesting problems. Are your problems getting more interesting? Or to put it this way, do you have a problem worthy of your best energies? Worthy of your life? What are you devoting yourself to trying to solve? How do you want the world to be different because you're in it? I will ask it again. Do you have a kingdom-sized problem that is in your heart? How big is your soul these days? What we are called to do, Jesus said, is to pray. To pray this prayer with these priorities. Because we become what we pray. We live out what we pray and captures our souls. We are transformed by what we pray for. The real question for every person here today starts with, what are you praying for? What are the problems that God is putting in your heart? May we hunger for the adventure of a lifetime, what God wants to give us. May we hunger to see the glory and the power and the kingdom of God breaking loose among us. For thine is the, the glory. For thine is the power. For thine is the kingdom. Do you want to see that? Then you need to start by praying that and wanting that in your life. Have you seen the glory of the Lord break forth? May we pray to see only what God can do through us and join Him. Mark Buchanan uh, talked about when uh, he heard Pastor Yonggi Cho years back. And Pastor Yonggi Cho was a, the pastor of the largest church in the world in Korea. And I know since then he has had difficulties. He, he, he got into trouble. He, he took funds from the church and was sent to prison. But I don't think God's finished with Yungi Cho yet. But anyway, during this time when, when he was walking with God closely, and it doesn't minimize this story, like I said, he pastored the largest church in the world. His ministry took on more and more status and was becoming international. And he told the Lord, I will go anywhere to preach the gospel except Japan. He hated the Japanese with a gut-deep loathing because of, because of what Japanese troops had done to the Korean people and to the members of Yonggi Cho's own family during World War II through a combination of a prolonged inner struggle. By the way, if you're really praying the Lord's Prayer, expect prolonged inner struggles. Expect to wrestle with the Lord. But after a combination of prolonged inner struggle, several direct challenges from others, a lot of times if God can't get through to us, he'll send somebody else to get through to us. And finally came an urgent and starkly worded invitation from Japan. 
Finally, Cho said, okay, I will go and preach in Japan. But he went, and he went with bitterness. The first speaking engagement was to a pastor's conference, a thousand Japanese pastors. Cho stood up to speak. Again, in front of probably the largest Japanese gathering of pastors ever, perhaps. And when he got up to speak, he said three sentences. And I can quote them to you right now. The three sentences he said to a thousand Japanese pastors were, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And then he broke down and wept as his own bitterness swept over him. At first one, then two, then a thousand Japanese pastors stood up. And one by one, they walked up to Yungi Cho, knelt at his feet, and asked for forgiveness for what they and their people had done to him and his people. And as this went on, God changed Yungi Cho. Yungi Cho forgave that day the people who had done horrible things to he and his family and his country. He was healed of bitterness. He was a changed man after that. When you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Sometimes God calls us to do what we least want to do in order to reveal his heart and to reveal what's really in our heart. How powerful is the blood of Christ anyway? What are the limits of forgiveness anyhow? How far does the gospel of peace, the ministry of reconciliation reach? Can it heal hatred between Koreans and Japanese? Can the blood of Jesus heal that rift? Can it heal and tear down the walls that exist between Jew and Gentile? How powerful is the blood of Jesus? Can it overcome racism between blacks and whites in inner cities and police departments? Can that happen? How powerful is the blood of Jesus? When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are saying, take us beyond ourselves. Take us beyond our small agendas. Take us beyond our prejudices. Take us beyond race and class and selfishness. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is what it means. We pray that heaven will break loose here on earth. Because if we follow Christ's kingdom agenda, I do believe this, there will come a time for those prayers to be answered, doors will open, opportunities will come. I believe that the Spirit has formed this church for such a time as exists in this nation. Our nation is being torn apart by race and socioeconomic issues. And the world and the church in North America doesn't seem to know what to do about what's going on. Have you noticed? Eight years ago, I preached at General Conference. I think it was eight years ago. I get, it's all fuzzy. All I remember is it's a great sermon. That's all I remember about it. And I talked about diversity and racism and, and the, how the, the New Testament church was a diverse church and, and how the Spirit is leading. And I remember I was upset leaving that General Conference because I got almost nothing but pushback on that sermon. 
People would tell me, that's not how the real world works. Or this is just a Harrisburg Brethren in Christ thing. Or our church doesn't believe in this diversity stuff. We use the homogeneous unit strategies. Birds of a feather flock together. And I left and I went, you know, I got so tired of everyone after that sermon standing up and going, Pastor Woody preached a good sermon, but here's what we do. <laughs> Hank preached at General Conference in Orlando two weeks ago. He preached on diversity. He preached on youth. He preached on what's coming and what's happening in our country. And praise God, the reception was entirely different. After what we have seen on TV night after night and what this nation is going through, even the brethren in Christ are starting to ask, what do we do? We're usually 20 years behind everybody. We're catching up. And here's the part I want you to hear. I believe this church was created and called for such a moment as this. We have prepared for what's going on in our world a very long time. We can't do everything. In fact, I don't know that we can have 10 things or whatever, but I believe God is calling us to do something only we can uniquely do. So we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in us, through us, here in Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church. In Harrisburg, the world and the church are finally seeing what we have seen for a long time. We cannot pretend to just be a no normal church doing ordinary things in these times. The kingdom calls. God's power awaits to be unleashed. And our prayer has to be, Lord, show us what we can do for the kingdom in such a time as this, especially in our church, especially in Harrisburg, especially in the area of not only salvation and healing, but forgiveness and racial conciliation and diversity because, Lord, we don't see anybody else really doing it. Only God can make His kingdom come. So we pray. I believe God has something special for us. This is what we are called to pray for in the next weeks ahead. Lord, what do you want HBIC to do that nobody else can do? To make this world stop hating itself. Only God can heal the wounded and the sin-stained hearts. So we pray. We pray. Only Christ and His Spirit can bring His agenda and tear down the walls that have divided people forever. So we pray. So we pray that the kingdom will come and His will will be done down here, just like it is up there where people from every tribe and every nation and every ethnic group stand and worship the, the Lamb that was slain together and don't seem to have any problems doing it. We want that to come down here. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is where, 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 where? New York City. No, heaven. And when we pray this prayer and we say amen, which means it's binding on me, be careful when you say amen. We are saying we will pray for this, Lord. And then after we pray for it, we will listen to you. And after we hear what you want us to do, we will follow you to help make that prayer come true. Do you feel that? Do you sense that? God has been preparing us 
for 16 or 17 years, and now I think the moment has arrived. We need to hear from God. So you pray for the Mosaics Committee. You pray for the staff. You pray for the board. If you've got ideas you feel are coming, you know, you share them. But we are going to discern the will of God together to go, what difference can we make here that just might go well beyond here? Okay? I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. The kingdom. What, what can we do for the kingdom? And so, of course, after this sermon, there's only one way to end this sermon. You know what it is. We've got to pray the Lord's Prayer. But remember, if you pray it, you have to mean it. And when you say amen to it, you're binding yourself to what you just prayed. So if you don't say amen, I, you will be receiving a phone call. And uh, it will be from some of the larger, huskier men in the church. So let's pray, shall we? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, who not trespass, but who owe us stuff too. <laughs> and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Uh-oh, here we go. Ready? Amen. May it be so. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'd like our worship team to come forward. I'd like our intercessors to come forward, and they will pray for you about anything. Would you stand and let us worship? And uh, then we'll be dismissed.
Jesus, we bring our personal burdens to you. They are real. They are heavy. We thank you for the invitation to bring them from a caring, caring God. But Lord, let us pray all your pr the prayer. Take us beyond just our small worlds to the world you died for and the world you're trying to save and the world you're trying to make better as your kingdom penetrates it. So, Lord, help us to do both things. Help us to bring all we are in all honesty and all weakness. But help us, Lord, to hear the trumpet sounding to charge and to listen to you and join you in bringing in the kingdom. Amen, amen. and amen. Go in peace.